Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. Joined as usual in this magnificent flying machine by Austin Ward. I know him as awesome, but I call him Austin now because uh, we're on a kind of a formal basis. Isn't that right, Austin? That's right. We are very buttoned up and formal on this show. Yeah, I don't have any buttons on this shirt, or I would button them up. But uh, I like that uh, jacket you've got on there, man. That looks pretty crisp. Uh, we'll start uh, the week with a little roosters and talk some shop with uh, today, Tyvis Powell and Bobby Carpenter, and then get done with that. And chop it up with you. It's the best way to start the week. I don't think I could wear anything white to roosters. I'd be afraid of like just that one inadvertent, you know, and then boom, you're dead. You got to be careful. Yeah. But anyway, uh, my wife's good at getting out stains. Uh, but that, but that's another story for another day. Uh, yeah, it's a Tim Bay podcast. We're in uh, late January. Uh, the NFL uh, playoffs are into the uh, conference championship round, uh, number one. Uh, Ohio State's recruiting, such as it is, for the 2022 cycle. Uh, most of it was done uh, before December, but they're they're zeroing in on a couple other guys, maybe, perhaps not. We'll see where that goes. Uh, not really going to get into that very much. That's Birmingham's territory. Birmingham, <laughs> Zach Carpenter, and Spencer Holbrook. But uh, you know, what is the vibe you're picking up? And by the way, my guest this week again is Matt Wilhelm. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. We're going to talk about what what these players go through during this time. It's not as it's not as all buttoned up as you might think uh, for for playoff teams. Uh, we also talk about the big change with Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator and two new coaches on the defensive side, Perry Eliano and uh, Tim Walton, former Buckeye, well, yeah. former Buckeye player, always a Buckeye, right? But right. Uh, we talk about the, the impact that maybe those guys are having on the players right now. What the players are going through, adjusting to what, in essence is a brand-new staff with the exception of Larry Johnson. But uh, just what are you picking up, uh, Austin, uh, you know, just on your day-to-day vibe uh, vibe feel uh, of, uh, of the, I guess, the tenor of, of the room over there in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center about what's going on defensively? Yeah, I think that there's, uh, you know, a lot of excitement. Uh, all these guys, it's maybe nervous energy, um, you know, maybe something to prove. All, all sorts of that. Also the appreciation that, you know, uh, they were Gene Smith and Ryan Day or even, you know, Jim Knowles saw something in these guys and wanted them to be part of this, considering how important this particular year is for Ohio State, um, coming off of everything that happened and turning the page moving forward, that these guys can get – there's faith that these guys uh, can come in and help get that fixed. And so from that Ohio State side, you bring in that, that new blood, new energy, new ideas, and – and that's all new. And then if you're Walton or Eliano or Justin Fried, Jim Knowles, hey, we all know what it's like to start something, some new job. And yeah, you want to yeah. prove that you were you were hired for a reason. And it's also just, you know, show what you what you're made of and also being part of it, something new, the excitement that comes with that. And every day, uh, you know, trying to learn something, trying to do something, bring whatever it is. Um, I think there's a lot of that going on now. As you said, the last week and a half, two weeks, 
these guys are getting onboarded in the system and then going on the road. They're not spending a ton of time at this point with, uh, you know, installation or getting to know the current roster. That time will come, uh, you know, in the middle of uh, or after the first Wednesday in February. Yeah. Not a ton yeah. of that recruiting that has to happen right now, but that's still more of an emphasis to let these guys get out and form relationships, see players than it is to sit down and break down uh, everyone that's on the current roster. That's Mickey Marotti's job right now. And uh, we all know how well he can do that. Yeah. We're going to get into a little bit of that uh, after I come back from my interview with Matt Wilhelm, but I wanted to ask you this before I jumped into this uh, thing with Matt, Uh, dude, there's no denying you're a Josh Allen fan. You're a Wyoming alum. Uh, You know, you, uh, but, <clears throat> to pardon Maximus Decimus Meridius, were you not entertained the other, basically the two, the two days of the uh, NFL playoffs, but especially, especially the game that would not end until it had to come to sudden death, which is kind of like the gladiatorial, gladiatorial yeah. uh, uh, <clears throat> Coliseum pulling my analogy all the way around there. But uh, wow, man, did I thought we saw two quarterbacks at their best. And I thought we saw Josh Allen go, you know, we're not losing this game because of me, and they didn't. They lost no. the game because they lost a coin toss and because their defense couldn't stop uh, Kansas City after that in, in overtime. But how entertaining was that, man, just to – and to have a little vested interest like you did with Josh Allen in, in the outcome. And, I, I mean, I think they also didn't – I mean, they didn't lose because of Josh Allen, but they also may have lost just because they didn't pooch a kickoff down there and waste Correct. five or six seconds off the clock. So – um Wait a minute, let me interrupt you. Remember when we're sitting there in the in the press box at the Rose Bowl going, why are they kicking to this Pacific <laughs> Covey guy again? You know, that's the only way they can lose this game. And then you're going, in, in this game, you're going, why aren't they squib kicking and making these guys hand? Go ahead. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, and, you know, when you just give Mahomes one play, and I think in this situation, even if, like, you know, even if they throw Tyreek Hill back there or whatever else, yeah, you know, I, th- I still think you, you like your chances better of, Mahomes being out there for one snap rather than two because we saw what he could do with those. And, you know, it was fun. I, I think it's unfortunate, not just because I would like to see uh, a Wyoming quarterback in the AFC championship game and and how much fun that would be. I don't you know for, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, with Allie and Liberty being really – Allie, you know, Allie was so thrilled on Saturday with the Bengals. She – I mean, she was – she's watched them her whole life and – for them to have that historic, you know, breakthrough one week and follow it up with another and get to the AFC championship game. That's, you know, 30 years in the making. So, and I know how much, how cool that is for her. And as a big, big sports fan, big Bengals fan, what the significance of that and, you know, Liberty, uh, I, I tweeted that out on Saturday. She, when the game started, she's like, so the Bengals win, they get to keep playing. Like, yeah, then that's, she's started a, you know, She's four and a half, but she's starting to get some of the – I'm teaching her some of those things and doing my part for that. So, you know, that part was really cool. And if it had been Joe Burrow and and Josh Allen, all the storylines and, uh, you know, stuff going on there would have been awesome. Uh, I think a long-winded way of saying I think that the overtime rules in the NFL playoffs sink. Um, You know, if both – if you have uh, the chance to rebut in the regular season with the, you know, field goal thing, they changed that rule. That was a step in the right direction. I, I don't understand why it would be diff- any different that you can't get an opportunity to match a touchdown for a touchdown. And then if something happens from there, all right, whatever, so be it. Yeah. I, I guess at some point you're going to have a sudden death. I don't know how they've decided that 
that's the right time when the other team doesn't get to touch the ball. I think everyone everywhere had come to an agreement that that's not a fair way to settle it, um, but apparently not. And uh, that part sucks because the duel between Mahomes and Allen was special. And uh, you would have at least liked the opportunity for him to return serve there in overtime. Yeah. You know, I don't know where you go because if you go, all right, each, each team gets a possession, <clears throat> you know, um, it is an advantage getting the ball first. And then it's an advantage if you hold them getting the ball second, because now you got to do is kick a field goal and you yeah. win the game. But yeah. I think, I think, I think each team should get a shot because they got to that point because they were tied, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> but like I like I tweeted, you know, after the game, I mean, you know, that uh, let 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 the uh, second guessing begin. I'm paraphrasing what I tweeted because I don't remember. But obviously, the overtime rules are never going to totally satisfy anybody. Uh, but wow, to see uh, Josh Allen play the way he played and then not get to leave the bench <laughs> in overtime—that's that's not the way you want the end, right? Yeah, and and I get it. You know, when you're looking at the regular season and don't, right. don't needlessly push things to the end. This is the playoffs. It's the chance to go to the AFC championship game for these teams. And, you know, they're <laughs> for whatever strength um, Buffalo's defense had throughout the course of the year. and was very good. Uh, they're built around Josh Allen and that offense. And, um, you know, it's not, <laughs> not to the advantage of anybody if you don't even get to put them on the field and think, Anyone who was even a neutral observer would have wanted to see if Josh Allen could go and lead another drive after that. Sure. And, you know, just it was it was the way those offenses had been moving it in the second half, the success they were having, the craziness of the last three and four minutes. You basically knew that it was going to come down to the coin flip because they were moving the ball so effortlessly. The first half, you know, you saw a lot of the pass rush on both for both teams making things hard for Allen and Mahomes. That's why they had to run for as many yards as they did in that game. And they were just exhausted down the stretch because it is really hard to defend against both of those guys the longer the game goes. So I I felt like as soon as the coin toss was done, that all right, well, that's pretty much it at this point. Um, and you know, I don't think that the college football overtime system is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we at least know that both teams are going to touch the ball and then if you don't want it to go on permanently, they've made tweaks there. You know, I I wouldn't even be opposed in my mind of letting them play 15 minutes and just have an extra quarter um, once you're in the playoffs. Not maybe that's not a great system for the regular season, but you you draw a clear difference if you see what you know the the NBA and the NHL do. I know that those sports are not identical, but you know NHL postseason. What do we love about it? Well, you're going to play a real period. It is a sudden death, but it's not like one team touches the puck and then the game is over. Right. It's a different game. Yeah. It's a different game. But, you know, there's a there's a clear difference between the way they treat it. Okay, well, this is our postseason. It's to crown a champion. We're not going to do three on three in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, We're yours would be a- more like your yours would be more like a basketball overtime <laughs> where there's five five minutes added to the clock or ten minutes like they do in you know, in regular season. They have ten minutes, but it's sudden death, you know, uh as opposed to basketball. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know where I come down on this because I understand the rules and why they made them. But, uh, you know, back in the day, they used to have sudden death playoff. Uh, but when they didn't have overtime or sudden death in the regular season and stuff, and I don't think a lot of people argued with that then, you know, but this was such a, this was such a tennis match or volleyball match 
you know, this guy scored, this guy scored, this guy scored. You just wanted to kind of see it keep going, but you also knew it wasn't fair the way it ended because of what you just laid out. They were both going up and down the field, right? Yeah, and I mean, hey, there's no point in in complaining about it, but the NFL has had this exposed really, you know, several times before that this probably isn't the best way. And that's why they, you know, tweaked it with the possessions before there was outcry over it. I don't know how much there will be, but I bet when the ratings come out, this one will be off the charts because if you weren't watching Bill's Chiefs when it started, most people were finding it by the time that the fireworks were really going off in the second half. And um, the – and both guys deserve so much credit for the drives late in the game. I think the, another problem we saw across the four games, which were so exciting all weekend, some truly bizarre defensive choices. Yeah. Uh, thinking mostly of Tampa Bay and, and the Rams before that, but yep. <clears throat> I don't, it was, this is a fun time of year and these are the best people in the world. Those are the best quarterbacks in the world and they made it well worth watching. And I think I just would have liked to see Josh Allen touch it one more time. And if he couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done, no problem. But we don't know. And that's the unfortunate part. Yeah, I was feeling for you, man. I was even going to text you, but I didn't, I didn't want to add to your misery. Uh, in, in a way, this makes it a lot easier because, as I mentioned, yeah, I'm this, with you. This, this house now doesn't have to have any sort of – It's unified. Uh, <laughs> any sort of doubt about it. And I, I – I joked with uh, when there were 13 seconds left uh, and, and we're joking about it. I said, you know, somebody asked me if I was going to have to get divorced with this week. And I said, well, no, I mean, I will fully support the Bengals and be with Allie and Liberty and, and wear those colors this week. But I'll do so knowing that a Wyoming quarterback is going to play in two weeks after that to win the Super Bowl. So um, this will be much, much easier. I, I don't, I think the chiefs are, a more winnable game for the Bengals from that part. I think that that worked out relatively per- perfectly, at least for, um, you know, the people that I live with. So yeah. um, now there won't be any part of that. And I very much would like to see the chiefs lose on Sunday at three o'clock. Well, as I pointed out to a group of friends, I was, uh, we were all texting together during that game and I go, you know, I go, well, you know, uh, obviously the Bengals, uh, the chiefs will be favored and all this guy, blah, blah, the, the Bengals. Are, I go, well, you know, Maybe they don't have a chance, but they did beat these guys in regular in, in the regular season, and they figured out how to keep Pat Mahomes from Patrick Mahomes from going down the field on him in the last second to win the game or tie the game. You know, <laughs> uh, they did it by hook and crook and by luck, but they did. Zach Taylor was thinking out loud. You heard what Joe Burrow said after that game. The last thing you want to do is give that guy over there another chance with with time on the clock. You know, and uh, that's what Buffalo did. So, wow, thirteen seconds, oh man, that's that's crazy, isn't it? But like, so, I mean, that's the crazy. Thing with me is just if you pooch it, and even if they take it out to the forty, they're still going to at that point. Yeah, they'll have had to take seven seconds off. They're not going to be able to really get it in field goal position. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I just I, I thought that one was such so simple. Yeah, you take your chances there, and you, know, you we saw a lot of we always do when it's when the decisions are magnified. They're we all, we know how hard it is to be a coach and make those calls and they're going to be second guessed forever. Mike Vrabel is going to deal with that. If you look at the situation in Buffalo, you're going to deal with that. Todd Bowles with his play call and going, you know, pressure and, and cover zero. Yeah. Like that's the way it works because football in, in these games, 
ultimate sort of small sample size sport. Um, college football, NFL, the same deal. We're, we're, we're forever going to be talking about, you know, Ohio State decisions against Oregon and Michigan. They played 13 games. We'll be talking about two of them forever. Same thing will be happening here with what happened on this divisional round weekend. Like they play one high stakes game. It's not a series like the NBA, not a series like the NHL, not a series like Major League Baseball. Certainly when you get to game sevens there, it's a little different, but this is always a one shot deal. And football is, um, in my opinion, more than any other sport, you have to be ready for that one opportunity because you never, you almost never get a second shot at it. Yeah, it's funny because uh, that leads into my interview with Matt Wilhelm, uh, a, a Tim a Tim A podcast year regular, as I call him, one of the several that are out there. Uh, and <laughs> uh, but the bottom line is we talk about you know because he was he was involved in playoff games in a Super Bowl and uh, and uh, talks about how things ratchet up intensity wise in this interview, along with some other things before we got into what he thinks about the coaching change at Ohio state on the defensive side and how the players will have to adjust. So, you know, you and I'll come back in a, in a few, in a little while after, after this little interview with Matt, but uh, I do want to hit on some other things with you about uh, some very interesting subjects, but uh, for a moment here, let's take a time out and, uh, and talk with Matt Wilhelm. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, yet another guest appearance by uh one of my friends, uh, fast becoming a Tim May podcast here regular, Matt Wilhelm. Welcome again to the Tim May podcast, my man. Oh, it's great to be on always, and uh, I love talking shop with you. Yeah, I don't know about you, but uh, we're, while while I'm recording this uh, on a Monday, uh, on a Monday just past noon, the snow is falling just like the stock market outside. How's it going up up where you are? Uh, yeah, the market is brutal, and we're getting uh, we got kind of hit consistently over the course of the weekend, and we have a little flurry now. And I believe that uh, as the day goes on, we're expected to get another couple of inches. So uh, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I, I, here's the one thing I have to say: I'm an Ohio boy through and through. Uh, I did you know a decade on the West Coast, and, and boy did I love it. Uh, yeah. But I just sometimes cannot stand the folks here in Ohio who just you know complain about the weather. And uh, they want a white Christmas and then they want to flip the switch and turn it off. Yeah. And then they don't like driving in it. Uh, they don't like living in it. They don't like the cold. And I just, I welcome all those folks. It's like, Hey, you know what? Indeed is an amazing website. Go find a job somewhere else and move out of this great state. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, not only that a public service announced, <laughs> but also a, a weather report from your, from, you know, cause I've always understood weather reports boost ratings on television, uh, Channel, so that's why we threw that in there. But I appreciate you. You know what's what's always struck me about? It, I moved up here in 1976 from from Texas, where we had one significant snowfall that I remembered, and I remember running off the road that day. <laughs> so it was the, my experience in in an, in another Texas uh, ice storm was yeah. uh, when I was a Green Bay Packer playing in the Super Bowl, if you recall, back in 2010. Oh yeah, and. Uh, uh, it, it's a it's a funny quick story, but like you know, you get there and you're expecting to get out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we get hit with like, and you know, Texas. I mean, 30s, 40s, and 50s. We go from outdoor practices to practicing indoors, and then what's uh, you know, GMC happens to be the uh, you know the car sponsor of the NFL, right? Yeah. So what they do is, of course, AJ Hawk and myself are both linebackers on the team, and they give every player a car, like a, a GMC terrain, which is like, you know, your mid, your midsize uh, SUV. Uh, so it is good in, in all weathers and all situations. 
you know, you have to sign your life away on a waiver, just like you do all the time, right? Uh, on yeah. insurance. And they give you the keys to this car to go explore, you know, outside of the realms of your responsibilities to help win a Super Bowl, which is, you know, practice and meetings. But I was scared. I mean, I was scared to death getting in someone else's car, a borrowed car, drive on those freeways because we were in, you know, you were practicing in, you know, in, in Fort Worth. So you're yeah. outside of downtown Dallas. And so to get anywhere is 20, 25 minutes. And the roads were bare because Texas folks, they were like, not a chance in the world. I'm driving in this stuff. Not me. And so, yeah. you know, <laughs> right, right. So it's just, it was a one time we left the hotel in that vehicle and it was to go to downtown Dallas. And it was the, uh, the NFL experience. Once my family had gotten in town, the NFL experience was hosted at the convention center downtown. And we got in the car, we, we white knuckled it the whole way, you know, on the black eye. It was like a sheet of ice yeah, because sure. you know, the, the city, the city and the state, you know, in the area was not ready for it. And, you know, didn't have the proper, uh, you know, tools to, and the salt to, to melt exactly it as fast, as fast as they thought. So quick story, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that's my ice storm, uh, Texas story, which again, I think they probably happened what once every 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Well, they had so a very rare. last year. I remember that. I mean, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. The whole, 10 years. The whole state went into a deep freeze. It reminded me of that, uh, that movie where everything froze. Remember suddenly, yeah. uh, yeah. who was in that Randy Quaid, I think was in that, but, uh, but I, Hey, Hey, real quick before we move on, you just brought pink my interest on something. When you guys uh, in the NFL, when y'all went on the road to like playoff games and the Super Bowl, how sequestered were were you guys? I mean, uh, uh, what do you remember about it? So your your schedule is your schedule. Your your of course, uh, most uh, professional athletes are very much creatures of habit, uh, and you know you are very in tune with your head coaches, you know, and team protocols on you know, when meetings are where, you know, when you're supposed to be there, of course, you're going to be there on time. But you know, does the coach start the meeting two minutes after the hour or a minute before, you know, 9am for the 9am meeting. So you wanted to be in your seat a few minutes ahead. And I think they call that that in Ohio State terms, trestle time, but go ahead. It is. Yeah, to be uh, to be early is to be on time to be on time is to be late to be late is to be forgotten. Yeah. So uh, that's a lesson that I'm, uh, and again, my, my, my son is very timely. It's uh, my wife who needs to work on being timely. Uh, but yes, it was, uh, once you get in the NFL, Tim, to your point, uh, your money's walking out of your game checks if you're arriving late to meetings or to workouts or to anywhere. But uh, to get back to the point, you're, uh, you're very regimented, but you do have some flexibility and, and it's, it's, Probably in my day, you know, many times you don't you don't hear the stories unless you hear it firsthand from someone who was there. Uh, but when you see guys, um, you know, not start a football game or miss a quarter of a football game or even at the college level, uh, it's because they were likely they they were stayed out past curfew, got busted out past curfew, got busted yeah. with, you know, a chick in the room, um, whatever it might be. And so but you do have some flexibility. So you can, in some cases, uh, mess it up. Uh, 97% of the guys don't mess with it because they truly see it as a business trip. But I would say a star player, regardless of who it is, offense or defense may feel like they're above the law and can get away with it. Or it's a, a young player or a rookie who might be, you know, traveling back to, to play the Cowboys and they're from the Dallas Fort Worth area. And so they have familiarity with family or uh, girlfriends or uh, whoever it might be uh, trying to just, 
you know, spend extra time with that person, it ends up nipping them in the butt because then they get fined. And then those fines aren't just like 500 bucks. Those are like $5,000. So uh, it can get kind of costly with not following the rules. You know, once again, you know, as you speak, I have 10,000 other questions popping in my head before I get to what I really (laughs) want to talk to you about. But I wanted to ask you this. Did you notice, uh, you know, you played in the national championship game in 2002. So, you know, about intensity, but in the NFL, man, the games we watched over the weekend were like ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous from it. How much did it ramp up uh, in playoff time? Number one. And number two, did you enjoy watching those games over the weekend? Uh, you know, but just, but number one, just how much did the intensity really ramp up? It's significant. Uh, it, it's significant and it has everything to do with the, the winner go home mentality. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like March Madness. You know, the reason why you cannot watch more than uh, a few highlights of college basketball, but watch, you know, a weekend after weekend worth of basketball because there's a severity to uh, the players making the, the game winning shots the same way the kicks were made and throws were made yesterday. Um, coaches jobs are on the line. Promotions are on the line, you know, based on wins and losses. And I think um, in talking to, you know, again, my, my brother and friends about, you know, what a great weekend of games it was, what a lot of people discount is um, the amount of information and this is why you're paid a significant sum of money, both the players on the field and the coaches. So I'm not discounting uh, their ability, but I think it's where you look at uh, coaches. And, and again, you know, there's nobody that's done better than, than Belichick, but then you look at like Andy Reed and you look at some of the coaches who've been head coaches and have staffs that have been to the playoffs, not just up an appearance or two, yeah. uh, but you know, uh, at over the course of their career, because they understand the, the step up in the severity of the practice tempo, um, having all their guys, everything buttoned up. And then to get back to my overlying point is the amount of information you have to be able to process in game inside of a play clock with three timeouts. So it's, it's managing your timeouts. It's, you have to also like foresee scenarios and now you have guys on staff and analytics is of course, uh, you know, the a word gets interjected into football constantly now as it has baseball for a very long time, you know, that, that are, you know, you're, you're shrinking this data point into an and or situation, which is sometimes yeah. not that easy. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, the one thing that I loved about the weekend is, yes, it was it was it's great for the game of football. Um, I loved, uh, you know, gosh, Packers Niners played for both of them. So uh, that was a win win situation. I think uh, the one point that I've also mentioned to folks watching those games is I think uh Joey Bosa got a $152 million or $135 million deal with $102 million guaranteed. And Nick Bosa, his brother, is going to dwarf that contract um, just because of how productive he is there in San Francisco and, and the game-changing uh, effort and plays that he made. Whether they re- you know, ended up in sacks, and he did have two, or not, uh, just the impact in Eric Armstead and, and what he did. It's, um, but the one thing I love is, especially I would say through the first – you could have not watched those games for the first half and turned it on at halftime right. and got your money's worth, right? right? What I loved about the first half that only someone like yourself, myself, or you know, other former players or coaches that have been around the game is, um, what I loved is how there was a, the lack of big plays in the first half of these football games and how it was this, this true push-pull chess match of coaches knew their opponents so well how to stop their, their key runs, how to take, how to put pressure on, on Burrow in the pocket, 
how to limit their playmakers, right? And the great players in the game always end up making those plays. So the coordinator and these defenses can only kind of like limit them for so long before a few little nuances are changed at halftime. And then it's like, bam, big play, big play, sack, blitz comes free. Um, So I love just the chess match of it all. And I think that uh, a lot of, you know, why I love the game is, uh, through the lens of glasses that I wear when I watch a football game, not simply as entertainment, but the pieces and I'm screen, I'm going back and rewinding on DVR and and taking a picture, you know, and videotaping uh, certain scenarios, certain plays offensively that I love and then defensively different blitzes, because who knows, you know, at some point, whether it's the high school or college level, if I become a coach, it's like, Oh man, I'm going to have the bag of tricks, yeah, you know, ready to pull off what these guys do on a week to week basis. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I, I liken it the way I, the way I easily explain it is these guys almost play the first half to not be in a position to lose the game. You know what I mean? Even yeah, though you can absolutely. say that about Tampa Bay, but you know what I mean? I mean, it was like, but, but be in a position going into the fourth quarter with a chance to win it. Obviously, Tampa Bay's comeback was crazy. Uh, yeah. and then ultimately to lose that game was unbelievable. But uh, but number one, that's number one. Number two, all four, all eight quarterbacks were willing to take a shot in that game, especially in the fourth quarter. Oh, there's quarter. no doubt. I mean, yeah. when, when you think about two of the biggest plays, one was a seam route to to Cooper Cup, you know, up the scene when he was one-on-one with the safety, Antoine Winfield Jr., a mismatch there. And then Travis yeah. Kelsey – you know, fakes just feigns a little outcut and goes up the seam. You know, for the for the big play that uh, that sets up that sets up the uh, tying field goal. I mean, that, those were crazy, crazy just moments where the quarterback had to just say, "I'm fixing to get hit. I don't care. I'm going to throw the ball." You know what I mean? I mean, it's, well, it's also why the. I mean, I think the game is predicated around you know quarterbacks and the head yeah. coaches. Yeah. Because as you'll see, you know, yes, uh, you know, I. And again, not because in Ohio boy or Ohio boy or any affiliation with Ohio State, but just look at what Joe Joe Burrow took nine sacks, and yet you would never know as they as they put the ball in his hands to make decisions with it down the stretch to win them a football game. You would never know that he'd been sacked nine times. You would think that a quarterback that's been sacked nine times is is physically, mentally, and emotionally defeated and feels like, well, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, what can I do now? But it just goes to show with these professional athletes and especially these young players. I mean, you look at last night's game and that's where, you know, uh, being up here in Northeast Ohio and, and of course I'm in, you know, a Browns town and with Browns fans and I've kind of like, I'm neutral, uh, but I, I want to see them do well. And I just go, those two quarterbacks, you know, and you, and you can name a rattle off Lamar Jackson, you can rattle off Justin Herbert, but I go, there are five quarterbacks under the age of 27 years old. Yeah that you have to beat to even get to a Super Bowl in the AFC. Yeah. Two of them, you know, you look at Allen, you look at Mahomes, you look at what Burrow did. Yeah. And, you, and again, I named Herbert, I named Lamar Jackson, he's in division. And so it's just, it's just wild to me, you know, so when, uh, and that's the question I get, the perspective I get. When you look at the Cleveland Browns, I go, you need to build a roster and have a guy touching the football every snap on offense who you feel can go toe to toe with those guys. Yeah. And I just, I question whether they're there or not with who we have in Baker Mayfield. Yeah. There's my, my pro, my pro football snippet. Wow. That was, that was a long way to go to get a shot in <laughs> on Baker Mayfield. Now I'm messing with you, man. You know, I'm messing with you. Uh, yeah, of course. But you know, you dude, it's always been that way in the NFL. You got to have that trigger, man. You got to, yes, you do. Like I said, Matt Stafford, man, I've tweeted about this. He threw a couple of passes there late uh, where he just stood in there and just calmly delivered the ball. I mean, you can see how the ball is thrown. 
you know, that there is a calmness to the situation. He's yeah. he's played his entire career to get to this kind of situation. I mean, at Detroit, all those struggles he went through, et cetera, you know, and uh, never got that full team around him, uh, you know, and now he's on a team. He understands he doesn't want to waste this opportunity. You can see the way he's playing that way, right? Absolutely. And I think that's, uh, again, uh, as you overly overview the entire weekend, you look at, regardless of who you're a fan of, and I think, uh, you know, I wanted, uh, I, I, of course, wanted the Bengals to win because of they're an Ohio team. Yeah. They're in our division. You love the, uh, the Joe Burrow, you know, as a player. But then I wanted to see Vrabel and the Titans do well, right? Yeah. And then you look at, you know, what not having that guy can do for your shot. Because the Titans have the run game. They have the defense. They've got A.J. Brown. They've got Julio. And you look at the quarterback and go, you know, we've got $25 million invested in Ryan Tannehill. And we're knocking on the door. But we're coming up short time and time again. So it makes you question. It's not, you don't question the head coach. You just question, do we have our guy? Yeah. And you look at the teams that have it and the success they had. You look at Stafford. You look at what Brady, again, the long history that he has as an NFL quarterback, but just his ability to never be counted out and make that game even a game after it was domination. Like, worth turning off at some points, right? Yeah. Um, and then, again, last night's game, you know, Mahomes and Allen, and you just go, you got to have that dude to compete. Yeah. You really do. And yeah. I just I think I just love also the the Rams and you know Sean McVay's initiative to go, okay, go get the guy. You know, make the trade, get rid of Goff, move on, get go get Stafford. You go all in to go get Von Miller. And it's like it is really like our window is open, you know, and so because you can't pay them all, and that's what's gonna happen in Green Bay. You know, they're forty four point eight million dollars over the cap. Something's gotta give. Guys are gonna walk. So this is your in the windows closed there now. And I think it's just wild. I, and I sent my brother this text. I said, how crazy is it to lose? You could lose Roethlisberger, Rogers, and Brady all in the same year to retirement. But in five years, though, I'm going to be in the front row at, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame watching these guys get inducted. It's got to be a hell of a class. Yeah. What a class. I mean, yes, absolutely. But number eight, hey, real quick. I mean, you, you piqued my interest here. But I want to ask you that you don't really know whether you've got that quarterback, do you? I'm talking about. You can have a guy who's really good through the year, through seasons, but you don't know if he's that guy until you get to the a until you get to the divisional game or the or a championship game, a divisional champion or a conference championship game, and that's why I'm sitting here right now and I'm I'm, I'm seeing a new Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what I mean? I mean, I just saw a yeah. guy who just said to hell with it. You know, my thumb hurts. I don't care. We're gonna figure out a way to win this game, and he did it. And it's kind of coming up his moment of truth, isn't it? Again, I mean, uh, it, it, it is, and I and I still think that Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know tr- you drafted Trey Lance last year, number yeah. what, number three, number four overall, and his, so his time may be limited in Frisco. But I think Jimmy Garoppolo is to me uh, in in a great situation with Kyle Shanahan. Um, he doesn't consistently win that job over Trey Lance time and time again, even being banged up with the thumb with this. So there's a, there's a significant amount of trust his ability to understand the offense. But to your point, the success that comes, and the one thing that pops into my head when it comes to, uh, you know, why, you know, the Browns, and I'll just go back to the Browns and, and talk about, I'll just say Baker Mayfield. I'm not talking smack. I'm just saying yeah. Yeah. What the, the biggest letdown entirely was just not making the playoffs to get him into that. He needs to get battle tested, you know? Yes. You know, very, very rarely does, you know, Patrick Mahomes make the playoffs for the first time and go win a Super Bowl. You know, that's, that's an anomaly, you know, 
you know, Manning had to go and lose and, and Brady's won and lost, you know, multiple times. So there's a you know, Roethlisberger's won and lost. Yeah. Uh, for, for God's sakes, you know, Aaron Rodgers went in 2010 with us and the Packers and he's never been back, you know? Yeah. So it's like, there's a, there, but, but yet they're, they're battle tested. And that's my point. So you can, you can be the greatest regular season quarterback, Lamar Jackson, MVP gets the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, and just, it happens. And so the more you can get back there, eventually uh, it's that, that perfect storm that the youth on the roster by drafting well, the, uh, the, uh, some of the veterans that you've signed through free agency, some of the veterans that have rode the wave, you know, in the construction, the perfect head coach with a great scheme. And you're just, uh, you're able to manage the money associated with the roster. And it's like, bam, you've got a three-year window. How many times can you get to that championship game? Because when you get to the NFC, AFC championship game, or AFC NFC, it's um I'm not saying it's coin toss because you, there's a there's probably going to be significant betting favorites in the in this in this year's games, uh, uh, but you, you get to that game it's and that's when I was in Green Bay it's like we're one game away from the Super Bowl yeah, um and it's and it's a it's a great place to be but to go back to your original point when we got down the NFL road is like there's an urgency and an approach as professionals. Um, when you're in that situation yeah. that is unlike anything else. And I would say it's the equivalent to, you know, playing in a, in a national championship, because if you lose, no one cares about you. It was, I mean, again, it's, it's a lost season. No one cares. It's all oh, great. You went to the Super Bowl and lost. Yeah. You know, yeah. You always, the, the champions always get remembered. That's what I was going to say. Uh, before I move on to what I want to ask you, I want to ask one last thing though. So how do you manage that if you're a player this week, knowing you've got to give your all and maybe plus some, but yet stay within the scheme, stay within the responsibilities. You know what I mean? Technique, trust your technique and stuff. How, how does that all balance out when you're walking out to play in a uh, conference championship game? Well, I think first no, of all, knowing uh, what's every, at stake. Right. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. There's going to be guys that don't have the nerves and anxiety associated with the situation who, uh, you know, will just go – treat it like any other week. Uh, and I'd say 50% of the roster is probably like that, but 50% are like, you know, tell their wife and kids like daddy needs to be really focused this week, you know, but that, but there's also, there's, there's some spots where um, you, you watch too much film and, and you get overcoached, you know, and I think the co- it's also to say like these staffs that get pulled together with their both playing and coaching careers in the NFL uh, and their playoff experience. Uh, they know, what buttons to push and what not to, when to push you hard and when to lay off, uh, when, it, when too much, because there's been times, and it happened to me in San Diego where, and we learned that hard lesson because we were not a good team when I first got there and then became a great team, you know, with Rivers and LT, where we were just like, I mean, our coaches were giving us quizzes and we were watching, we were watching like too much film to the point where we had too, we had too much, we are an information overload. Yeah. And everything, every formation they came up in every motion, it was like, Oh, alert this, alert that, alert this, yeah. alert this, but like, yeah. you never just played. Right. Yeah. And then eventually we figured that out and it was okay. We got them. We got them pegged. Okay. It was like a four game breakdown instead of doing a seven game breakdown. It's like, we, okay, we know who they are, but then we also have to do what we do and impose our will on them, rushing the passer, stopping the run, you know, mix and match and coverages and so on and so forth that you really, really actually get into the chess game without going, oh, I think they're going to do this. So I'm going to anticipate all this, but what if they do something different? And I'm not ready for yeah. the fact that they're going to come out in three tight ends and one running back when we've been preparing for, you know, 
open formation the whole week. Yeah. You know? So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a happy medium and a, and a balance. And I think the teams, again, that are battle tested with quarterbacks and teams that uh, have been to the playoffs before and coaches that have been there know how to regulate and push the buttons properly and have you prepared. And I think it's a significant advantage against those teams that are making a, you know, first time appearance in the playoffs. And I think it's why, you know, the Bengals run uh, is so enjoyable for the city of Cincinnati, any Bengals fans, uh, because there's, it's a, it's a significant youth movement there and a, and a revamped roster with the, with Mike Brown and the Bengals organization. Yeah. I was going to say, I was covering the Bengals and the Browns back in the late seventies, early eighties and 81 when they made that run to the Super Bowl and then got beat by San Francisco, you know, it was great, but yeah. wow, what, what a, what a great time to be covering a team and stuff. Just watch it come together. I just covered the oh. Brown, you know, the Browns run the year before when the mistake on the lake, but man, that was a hell of a football team, you know, and uh, absolutely. It, it's just cool. There's a difference, you know, you can feel it in locker rooms when a, uh, when a team is playing well, et cetera. And knows, absolutely. It's, knows it's onto something. Hey, let's just move on real quick. Cause I, I, I don't want to keep you all day. Cause I don't You're like, to, I don't like to waste your time, but you know why I called you uh, initially is that, you went through this as a football player at Ohio State, big coaching changes, you know what I mean, from uh, from one year to the next. And, you know, what would be your, uh, I don't know, advice, I guess, to these players on defense right now on, at Ohio State who are now have a new op- defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles, two new uh, defensive basically backfield coaches in uh, Tim Walton and Perry Aliano, you know, with, with substantial backgrounds and credentials themselves. Uh, they're in for, would you say they're in for a, a big world of change? I'm talking about the players and we'll get into like some of the other aspects of it too. But I mean, sure. what do you anticipate, I guess, you being being a former Buckeye, but also a guy who went through a major coaching staff change. Uh, this is about as deep as you can get into coaching staff change defensively, except that they uh, still have Larry Johnson back as a as sure. a defensive line coach. but. Well, what just swims through your head at these moments as a player? Yeah, the, and, and there's a lot. And I would say uh, first things first is making a uh, very solid, rock-solid first impression. Uh, because, you know, these coaches have, you know, after being hired and coaching their bowl games at their, at their other universities, then come in and immediately go to work. Yeah. And what does that work mean? It doesn't mean you can't be out on the field because the season's over. It is in their office watching last year's tape. And you wait, know, wait, like wait, anything, wait. when they're not, when they're not recruiting, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. When they're not, when they're not, well, when they're not recruiting yeah. your replacement, they're evaluating what we have, yeah. what, you know, what, what's in, what's in the cupboards. And so, you know, they get a good understanding of, of who you are and what your, what your makeup is. And, and, and you and I both know this having been around the game a long time is, you know, you can say whatever you want to say and you can look, you know, the biggest and strongest, but like when you turn on the tape, that's your resume. That's who you are. And so I think for these uh, defensive back coaches and, and Coach Knowles, uh, turning on that tape and understanding who they are, but then your opportunity as a player, um, and you will be as a player on eggshells for a little bit of while as you're getting comfortable with these coaches and building that rapport, but making a, a good first impression. You know, it's, it's very yes or no, sir. I'm excited about my opportunity. Uh, you know, really just trying to be memorable because they are – learning 125 names as fast as they can too. Like, you know them because they're three or they're your coach on your side of the ball. So it's not hard, but they're learning 105, 125 names, right? Including walk-ons. And so if they know you, 
instead of calling you, hey, three or hey, 35, it's hey, Wilhelm, you know, or yeah. Matt or hey, Matt, you know, wh- whatever. It's like you want to go from your number to name as fast as possible, because that means there's like depth building in that relationship. But you will both in the weight room, uh, around the building, uh, when they review your grades, uh, you will be, you know, recognizable for those things. Who's working the hardest or in situations when you go over to Mickey Marathi and you just ask like, who's, who's killing it right now in the weight room, you know, who's in, who's in here, who are you kicking out of the weight room right now? And all those little impressions start to mold who you are to this coach before you've ever put on a helmet since they've taken the job. And so that's, I think what you really have to be, or what I would say to these young men, it is not, now is not the time to relax because to your point about not, I said, watching the film and you said recruiting, they're recruiting your replacements. You're constantly trying to keep the cupboards filled. And at Ohio state, it's three star and above, you know? And so you're, you're trying to find the next talent that fits the scheme perfectly. And so there's going to be some molding, you know, and there's going to be some conversations with, uh, you know, guys that might've played defensive end uh, who might be, you know, playing linebacker in certain situations or, or safeties who might be a nickel, you know, might take spend time at nickel corner uh, or safeties who might come down and play will linebacker kind of like C grant, you know, there's a lot of, of moving pieces. And so I would not be surprised. And, it, and you have to be humble enough if you're committed to this program, because now it's easier than ever to just go, huh, I don't want to be a Buckeye anymore. I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be an Auburn tiger and just yeah. leave. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, I think on the flip side for the coaches, it's to, it's to create the impression uh, uh, to the players that this is a place that you want to be. I'm a coach you want to play for. I'm a coach that understands your skills. Uh, I understand your deficiencies. We'll help patch those up to get you ready for the NFL, which I know in many cases, only 15% of guys, but we're going to get you better. Yeah. We're going to work to get you on the field. We're going to work to get you on the field full time. And I'm going to in those first two weeks, you know, in passing in small little instances. But then I would imagine uh, all coaches, there's going to be a defensive meeting. Then eventually the coaches, and I think this is what happened for us, uh, eventually sits down with Mark Snyder, new linebacker coach. That's easy because that's, you know, you're one of his 12, but then eventually to sit down with coach D'Antonio and and meet with him conceptually about the defense. And then eventually, and and I think you've probably, this is well documented, but then coach Tressel, especially for the seniors first. Uh, So it didn't happen in 01 for me, but eventually it it, it happened in 01, but not wasn't a priority because it was seniors first. But then it's like in, in 20, uh, 2002, it was, you know, sitting down with coach Tressel. So you went position coach, coordinator, head coach. And it was just like, you know, an hour spending an hour, you know, with, with another, you know, man who has a vested interest in you and, and vice versa, just talking through goals and expectations and uh, strengths and weaknesses, uh, especially the earlier in the year, the better. So to make this move, to have Ryan day be so proactive only benefits us because it gives us seven months before we have to take the field. You're a former Buckeye. I don't know if you a former Buckeye player. You're always a Buckeye. Um, do you give kudos to Ryan Day for understanding he had to make some kind of drastic 
Absolutely. When, when, when you hire three new coaches on the defensive side and get rid of three guys, that's a drastic change. You know, like I pointed out a while ago, what kind of kudos you give, I guess, Ryan Day for recognizing uh, he had a problem he had to deal with it. Significant because, again, the same way that I continue to pat, you know, ourselves on the back for our football acumen, um, it didn't <laughs> – a novice Buckeye fan who doesn't know football, just I'm a fan of the Buckeyes, I watch their games – I kind of understand what they're doing. You know, it, it wouldn't have taken anyone with a significant uh, football acumen to, to go, huh, wow, we're really good on offense, but boy, does our defense need some work. Yeah. How do you address? And because it's um, college football, not professional, although it's changing, you go, you can't just swap out all the players and go, you know, cut a bunch of guys, trade a bunch of guys, and then sign a bunch of free agents and then draft guys, right? Yeah. Um, you have to go, it's the powers above. And that's the one thing that I think, uh, you know, not to name names in, in any regard, but when I saw, you know, going back and I think, is it, um, what's the gentleman? Uh, is it Bill Rabinowitz? Yeah. Rab- is that his name? Did I say his name correctly? From the Columbus Dispatch, yeah. Correct. Yes, he did a great job of, because here's the thing. I'm, I'm a family man. I, you know, I'm getting yanked in a million direct. I don't have time to go back and rewatch a game from start to finish and pinpoint all the, the wrongs, you know, offensively, defensively. Um, I will, you know, DVR them and, and find a snippet here or there, but he did a great job following the Michigan game, um, highlighting some of the offensive, you know, uh, strengths, some of the offensive miscues in certain situations in the run game. But then it was also a lot of emphasis on defense, especially the front seven. And so it just – guys were and – and I'm not going high level, but it's like guys were – they don't just they weren't making mistakes every single time Michigan ran the ball. It was conceptual. It was scheme. They were coached to do these things. They were coached to bury themselves up in the line of scrimmage yeah. and have no vision on the running back. And yeah. then when the running back cuts back and pops through the wide open hole, you go, How did that happen? It's because yeah. our linebackers are burying themselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's not hard to see. And it's like, so they're being coached to do that. So Ryan Day you know, probably took his breather, uh, you know, took one on the chin for the first time, or we took one on the chin for the first time in a long time against that team up North. And it goes, and he had to evaluate, he had to watch the film. He had to have conversations. And I'm not saying he had conversations to go, Hey, Hey, Al Washington, you're fighting for your job right now. Tell me why I should keep you. Yeah. It was, it was just a, a, it was probably consistently all year conversations, you know, gosh, you know, uh, Steel Chambers playing linebacker. We got Cade Stover coming over. So it was it was personnel stuff. It was coaching stuff. Uh, going back to the swap from Combs to Barnes. Barnes leaves. You know, it's just appropriate probably that Carey moves in another direction. It just it, it was just the perfect. I, I'd say perfect. It was the perfect downturn defensively. Yeah, and that was identifiable all year long. And it wasn't just that game. It kind of culminated in that game because of how much is at stake in that game and what it cost us this year. Not saying we were the team to go beat Alabama or Georgia, but at least I know what, what playing that game means to a university and the bonuses for the coaches yeah, yeah. Um, for making the Final Four. So there's a lot at stake. And uh, I give him major props for, for making the changes. I think uh, the one thing I did immediately thereafter was I went back and you know I did DVR all the new January 1 bowl game. So I went and watched the Oklahoma State defense. Uh, and just got to see pieces of, of what, what Coach Knowles is all about. 
I, I talked to a couple guys on staff that are familiar with, with him and they're excited, which makes me excited. And then I think you add that with the fact that we only recruit four and five star kids. And I would hope there's a significant step in the right direction next year, along with our offense, which will allow us to compete for a national championship. All right. This is what's interesting. It's the same staff coaching the Rose Bowl. First half, it looked like the same defense that had played against Michigan. Then Demario McCall and some others, but Demario McCall got up and gave some kind of impassioned speech at halftime. But as Ryan Day said, the thing that they emphasized going out in the second half was just play with more violence, just get after it. Uh, you know, the scheme was was what it was going to be at that point, sure. you know, 13 games in. But I thought it was a great example, and I haven't even really written about this yet, but I thought it was a great example of Ohio State across the board just totaling up the players from a, from a talent standpoint, had more talent than Utah, weren't showing it, and finally some talented players just said to hell with it and got after yeah. it. Well, Tim, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like they played like a silver bullet defense. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. You know, it's and and I know it's 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 a it's a cliche, you know, uh, depiction, but it's like be the hammer, not the nail. Yes, you know. And so many times this year, especially when things aren't going good, of course, it's emphasized, you know, to the ump degree when we're constantly the nail. Offense is bringing it to us, and we're taking those blows, taking those impacts. And I think what you saw was, and I'll just, I mean, again, kids wearing my number, he's from Northeast Ohio, just even the Eichenberg kid. It's just like, he just saw ball go get ball. Yeah. You know, he believed in his film study. He was empowered by his coaches. He understands the scheme because he's been a part of it the whole year. And he just went yeah. and he put, and it just was like play after play after play after play. And that's, that's, uh, you know, you build momentum as a defense, you build confidence to defense. And frankly, it's demoralizing for an offense where you feel like for the offensive players on the field, they're like, Oh man, I got to set my game up and match their level of intensity now, which is kind of what it should always be anyway. But then it also forces the hand of the offensive play caller on the other side of the ball. It's like, Oh, they got a beat on what we're doing. Let's go change it up. And And then you force them to break tendency. You force them into, uh, you know, bad, you know, off schedule situations, third and yep. seven plus situations, you know, second and 10 plus, because you've got a negative run on first down. They run the ball like they had all first half getting five, six yards. They run the ball in the first half and on in the second half and it's second and 11 and a half. Yeah. You're off schedule. Yeah. You've got to go get seven yards to put you in third and four. And then when you stop them for a three yard game, they're in third and eight plus it just cont- the data and analytics just continue to, to churn in the favor of the defense where, I don't care who it is, Terry Combs, Barnes, Knowles, you or me, the bag of tricks, what's available to you at third and eight, as opposed to third and four, is yeah. triple in size. Yeah. yeah. And so it yeah. Just, it, you just have the offense, you know, now you're actually dictating the offensive play call. And also, even furthermore, based on your film study, is you at third and eight, you go back through all your film study, which is, because you have a month, you probably watch more, you're mildly overcoached but you have a good beat on their tendency is to, and it's one, two, or three, as opposed to third and four, you know, depending yeah. on where you're at on the field, it's like, you could get, you can get a run, you can get QB run, you can get a screen, you can get a bubble screen, you can get an RPO, you can get empty. You know, it's like you, it's the, the, the playbook is so vast in third yes. and four, as opposed to being so narrow at third and eight plus. Hey, uh, last couple of things. Uh, 
you watched Oklahoma State, obviously, against uh, Notre Dame, evidently, in the bowl game. But, uh, obviously, Jim Knowles didn't get to coach that game, but it was his defense. Uh, sure. They've got that stand-up Leo guy. You know, he likes to go with a 4-2-5, but it's, it's almost like a three-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, five, you know what I mean, uh, for one or yeah. another term. Uh, just you as a, as a football guy, do you, do you like that stand-up Leo maybe be floating up and down the line of scrimmage and stuff, maybe stepping in the A-gap here, you know, the C-gap over there, uh, getting putting his hand in the dirt uh, occasionally. What, what – I guess that works really well in the Big 12, you know. Will that, will that translate? Because that obviously revolutionized defense in the Big 12. He did. Sure, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, trans- I would say I – Go ahead. I, I mean, tra- here, wait a minute. Let me, let me interrupt you. But sure. I don't he is not, you know, everybody thinking that's all he's gonna coach. He this guy's a really sharp dude for what I've been able yeah. to ascertain. I mean, he does what with what he's got, he does what he has to do with what he's got and stuff. And but just as that little aspect of it, just to show this guy thinks a little bit out of the box, does does that encourage you? Just what's your take on that, I guess. It does it does. And a, a lot of uh again, both what I saw which was, you know, in one instance. And then uh, my experience in San Diego uh, with the Chargers under Wade Phillips, we were a 3-4 defense, right? Yeah. So it's, yes. it's two stand, it's two stand-up guys, right? So yeah. three down, two stand-up guys. Um, but my whole point in saying that, what I loved about it is if you have the right guy at that Leo linebacker, he is a – he's as good of a pass rusher. He's probably 60% pass rusher, 40% cover guy. Yeah. Super flexible. Uh He's smart uh, because he's got to understand, you know, uh, he's got to be up in the front in the pass rush schemes, but then he's got to be able to understand coverage and what's going on, but, you know, on each side of him and behind him in yep. coverage. Uh, but I love it because it gives you uh, the, the, a significant amount of flexibility. And it puts the same way we've seen if you watch the NFL playoffs and even watch, you know, some of the bowl games, you see a lot of like all those like walked up mug blitzes where, you know, six, seven guys, eight guys in every gap. And it's up to the offensive line to determine who's coming and who's not. And so I think with the Leo backer, there's a, there's a push pull. He's showing, he's dropping, he's showing, he's coming, he's showing drop. And then he just, you know, he delay blitzes. It gives you a lot of flexibility and creates a little bit of doubt um, in the offensive protection. And then you just add in, you know, the aggressive nature of adding an additional linebacker, you know, and, and bringing five. Yeah. You know, the, the, the three, the Leo and someone else, who is it? Is it a corner? Is it a safety? Is it an inside backer on some type of twist or stunt? And so I think it gives you a significant amount of flexibility, but the one thing that I will say, uh, and I'm sure only having been around the game a long time and every defensive coach knows this, it's like, um, it would be very, uh, it would not be advantageous for coach Knowles to come in and go, this is my scheme everyone's going to be plug and play. Everyone's going to turn into the round peg that I'm going to turn you into and plug you into my round holes because Toronto Mitchell or the Eichenberg kid, he might be a square peg. You can tell me he's not going to play. Yeah. He, he, he occupies a scholarship for us right now. He is who we have. And so I think that's what the next, uh, well, the last couple of weeks have been on the recruiting trail and, you know, and, and of course, you know, not talking to the kids, but talking to the kids and seeing the kids, but then, what the next 45 to 60 days is really going to be about is um, everyone learning about each other, everybody learning about their strengths and weaknesses, everybody identifying their deficiencies, working on their deficiencies as it pertains to Coach Knowles' scheme on what he wants to accomplish. Yeah. Because uh, you can't tell me, we'd be, we'd be silly, you know, as a team to go, 
you know, Coach Barnes or Combs, whatever system we were running, they were so great in this package, in this look. We were, uh, you know, we had 70% pressure efficiency. And you're going to tell me Coach Knowles is going to be so arrogant and pompous to go, I'm going to scrap that. Yeah. for this yeah no you're gonna you're gonna build that into what you do and it's gonna drag it along with you right yeah you know a lot of what you're gonna do is gonna be his scheme but you're gonna pull some of what you're gonna tell me coach johnson's just gonna go oh, whatever you say coach my past history as a buckeye with what we did on the defensive line is irrelevant to your scheme no coach johnson's gonna be going standing on the table put his hand going like no we need to get into this we run this stunt especially when you get into coach johnson's success and i'm just using him as an example against all oh, got when Penn State, when Coach Franklin wants to get into this protection and they go, you know, sprint or dash or, you know, a, a waggle pass, we ran this stunt and had great success the last five times we played them. You're, Coach Knowles is going to go, that's, that's what I want to hear. This yeah. is how we're going to do it. And yeah. so it's going to be that meeting of the minds uh, along coach to coach, player to coach over the next 60 to 90 days. It's gonna, really going to set the table for an amazing spring. Uh, and then what you potentially they come back and accomplish in training camp. Yeah, you sound like you're excited about this change because, I mean, I'm like, number one, it was something that had to be done. Well, the defense was horrific. Yeah. The defense was embarrassing. Yeah. And so change, not saying, you know, change isn't always good, uh, but I think that the, the benefit of the doubt, you know, the, the swap early, you know, midseason that you and I talked about with Coach Combs and Barnes and the difference yeah. and, you know, some of the pressure that came from Barnes. Uh, but ultimately, I think, the staff change, I think uh, if I were a recruit right now looking at our defense, I don't just go, oh, I'm going to go there and be a part of a bad defense. It's like, no, I'm going to go be there and fix and be a part of it. Yeah. And, and, and also while being a team that has the most potent offense in college football and a great coaching staff that's going to get me ready for the NFL and win a couple of compete for a couple of national championships while in my time there. Yeah, plus he's inheriting a group of guys who – most of them are coming back, number one. And number two, uh, who've been through <laughs> who've been through the gauntlet. I mean, you know, paid that year of experience like some of your guys did. Remember in 2000, 2001, and suddenly you had a grizzled group there that just needed a little bit, you know, better direction, you know, in 2001, 2002, and y'all got it. I mean, that you know, this is a talented bunch of players. Don't, do you agree? I agree. And I would also uh, – I would, I would second that with – uh, it seems, and I've not met him personally, but it seems that, uh, you know, Coach Knowles comes across a little bit of old school, yeah. a little a little, little gruff in his approach. Um, and Coach D'Antonio was the same way. Coach D'Antonio didn't walk in like a pushover, wanting to be everybody's friend. It was like almost like a my way, highway approach yeah. of, you know, it's, we have to be different because the results we've been getting – you know, without me have been what they were, right? Which led to the change. And yeah. so uh, there's a severity, uh, a business-like approach to both of these men, which I think uh, gets players out of their comfort zone. You become a little bit of a, that's why I said that yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, for a lot of these guys who might've had a comfort level with Co Coach Combs that might go back, you know, three years at Ohio State, three years of being recruited by Coach Combs. That's six years of rapport, yeah. right? Yes. It's now gone. And there's a new man who's, you know, the captain of this defensive ship and you have to appease him and be a piece, you know, in his, in his master chess, uh, chess set. And so uh, there's a lot of humbling. It's, it's a humbling, even though for these, you know, these recruits, again, they're, uh, they're coddled like everybody, like, like, you know, like an NFL uh, type free agent. 
uh, in this day and age, but uh, they've got to humble themselves and come down if they want to be a part of this. Uh, and, and I think going back to, in the, you know, the, the, my one major point of contact is Mark D'Antonio or uh, Dan, uh, Pantone. Yeah. And he's just like, it's like, and you hear it from coach day as well. You've got, you've got to fit us. The five star recruits, you know, that, that we don't even offer is because they don't fit what happens in that building. Yeah. The, the mission, the mindset, uh, the work ethic, uh, the people that you are outside that building has to match who you are inside the building. You can be great inside the white lines, you know, that's awesome. I go, but if you're failing in school and a bad person in and around the Columbus community and that universe and that, and that campus, you don't fit who we are. Yeah. And I just love the standard that I think, uh, you know, urban created and bended in certain situations, but that yet Ryan day came in and really polished up and, and made it really very clear exactly who they want and what they want as a standard of student athlete at Ohio state. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, man. I mean, uh, you know, people think you're being homeristic when you talk about things like that, but I mean, the difference is, is pretty crazy that the, the quality of student athlete, you know, that they've brought in. I, I use that term student athlete only because it's a euphemism, but, but you gotta be kind of both and you gotta be, it should be student athlete citizen. You've got to play the part. And yeah. Again, as much yeah. as everybody wants to say you're recruited as you're being recruited because of your, your athletic prowess, you've got to play the part. And, yeah. and again, uh, Bama does it. Clemson does it. Ohio state does it. USC is doing it. I mean, you have to do it. You have to get kids. You have to create the platform, you know, for them to go accomplish their goals. Yeah. Um, hey. And some of them are, you know, getting an education and some of them are just, you know, excelling at the highest level on the field. Who knows when I'll have you on again sooner rather than later, for sure. But uh, real quickly, uh, uh, who wins Who wins this weekend, uh, Cincinnati or uh, Kansas City? Who wins I think it's going to be Ram, Rams, Rams, Chiefs. You think it's going to be Rams, Chiefs, Chiefs. Super Bowl. Rams, Chiefs, Super Bowl. Um, and then I'm – I think it's just wild that uh, the way the Rams won yesterday to host a playoff, they're going to host it, uh, a, a NFC Championship game at SoFi, and then – you know, if, if they win, uh, also play in the Super Bowl in their home stadium again, and then in back-to-back years have the opportunity to have the, you know, the, the home team, the host team win the Super Bowl at their home field, which is yeah. kind of – which is wild. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Wilhelm, thanks again. Um, a Tim May podcast here regular. Thanks again for joining me, my man. You got it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. As always, man, I appreciate Matt Wilhelm coming on, man. He always brings something special to the Tim May podcast. And, you know, you heard him talk about it there, uh, <laughs> Austin. Uh, you know, this is, for one of another term, and I'm paraphrasing, this is a fresh start for all involved. That could be both a good thing and a bad thing. Whatever you put on video this past season as a defensive player at Ohio State, for example, you got three new coaches there now uh, perusing, including a new coordinator, whatever, uh, and – you know, you, but it's also a chance to like just by pure work ethic and maybe, uh, uh, I don't know, relationship building, you can kind of get a fresh start on some things. But uh, this is going to be an interesting winter and spring for a lot of players on this defense, right? And, and the new coaches, like we talked about yeah. off the top, Tim. I mean, there's no guarantee that just because Ohio State paid $1.9 million to Jim Knowles that or just because Perry Eliano coached a Thorpe Award winner or that Tim Walton has been uh, at the NFL level, that all these guys are going to have instant success. That's not guaranteed. Now, Ohio State 
picked them for a reason and went through this process and thought those were the right guys to move forward. And there's a lot of signs that indicate that they, they could uh, become that or maybe should or would, I, you know, however you want to look at it, but they have to get to work as well and validate that. And I think that goes back to, you know, the excitement of getting to get rolling. They, you don't, Tybus Powell said something that was pretty interesting about having to, you know, when he gets to Ohio State, um, dealing with that was his goal, yeah. right? And then you then you become maybe a little bit complacent if you don't reset your goal. So he went through that, and that it was a process. Well, I don't know that with uh, you know these guys as long as they've been in the coaching profession that that's necessary, but certainly this is something that they wanted to accomplish in a place they wanted to be in their life. So. You know, I think there's going to have to be that embracing of the moment and the opportunity, and then you have to actually follow through with that. And I think, you know, it's there's just this you know, notion that because they made hires that look on paper to be really good, that there's going to be an instant fix. Well, everyone has to find out the right formula for doing that moving forward, and that's schematics, that's personnel, that's, you know, everything, recruiting process, all of it. You know, there's going to be – new things that are involved in the transition. That's for everyone in the Woody. There's a, a different dynamic. Now, Ryan Day is trying to establish his culture and the way he wants things run. And that message comes down, but this is still, you know, two, three weeks into it. So there's going to be parts that you have to learn on the fly and, and growing pains even still that you have to work through before you even get on the field in March. So um, this time is really interesting for that because it's, you, you you're talking about a, a blank slate. I mean, that's Tanner McAllister and Diamante Trainum said the same thing. Like these guys are all going to be learning this system at the same time. Some yeah. of it will carry over from last year. Like there may be some head start uh, in some respects, but everybody is going to be looked at the same way through winter workouts and then that first day in March. Yeah, you know, uh, it's obvious. Uh, you know, the way I him and Hall that we don't rehearse anything. We don't go script on this thing. <laughs> But I wanted to ask you this. This is a little bit off script, too, uh, that we don't even have. What a stupid statement that whole thing was. Uh, too who hard. One, who's, yeah, but who's that, yeah, but who is that one player on defense? And I'm thinking Denzel Burke, but you might have another name. And you might, mm-hmm. if you agree with me, you can say it, too. Who's that one player on defense that's sitting there right now going, you know what, I'm going to be just fine no matter who's coaching me no matter what the situation is, I put in the work this past season. I did my job, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about from a selfish standpoint, yeah. but it's, but it's feeling pretty confident about where he sits in the grand scheme of things. You know, I threw out Denzel Burke because I think Denzel Burke is a special player that would be recognized by anybody coaching him anywhere. Uh, you may disagree with me on that. So, you know, Ronnie Hickman may be a guy, like that, but where does he really fit in this new look? You know, who who's that guy? If I've already named him, you can name him again. But who's that guy that you think is sitting there going, they can build around me? You know what I mean? They can they can count on me to do the right thing, etc. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm talking about on defense. Yeah, I think it's easier to just say that about Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown because there's only so much you're going to do with your corners. Now we know that overall there's going to be you know different coverages, different different looks, different responsibilities, you know, how much zone, how much man, all, you know, press, all the, all those other things. We know that it's, there's going to be changes and that involves the corners, but for the most part, 
their jobs are going to be the same no matter what. They're going to have to go cover those guys, and they're going to have to do it at a high level. And I think that they've proven enough. Uh, Denzel Burke from one year and claiming a starting job when nobody expected that uh, going up to Minnesota, really. Uh, and then Cameron Brown, when he was healthy, played at such a high level. Those guys know, hey, you can wor- worry about what you want to do with the safeties, how many linebackers you want to play. Does Court Williams need to play in this spot or that spot to get on the field? Uh, is Zach Harrison going to stand up and play that Jack or the Leo role? Um, you know, what do you do with JT Tuimolo, Jack Sawyer, that rotation at end? Like that stuff is going to be worked out and is what makes for a bunch of really entertaining spring storylines. But to your point, like if you know what you're going to build around, those guys have proven enough that, all right, you know, you do know that Jordan Hancock is pushing in there, Legend Cavazos, you know, J.K. Johnson. We, we've heard so many good things about, you know, those top 100 players that they signed at corner. Yeah. Uh, but that's the position you look at. And, and I know that there are people who don't agree with you and I saying that about the corners, that pass defense hasn't been good enough, or, you know, Burke only did it for a year. Cam Brown's always hurt. That, that's fine. I, you know, there's a case to be made the opposite way if you want. I think Ohio State looks at – what they have at cornerback and are really, really confident there and in a much better spot to get it flipped uh, in a hurry because of the experience that those two guys have had playing the position in yeah. no matter what scheme they're in. Hey, uh, uh, Josh Proctor is, is at the least going to be limited right in the spring. If in fact he practices, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hearing a little few things, but uh, they like his progress, et cetera. Lathan Ransom getting hurt in that game. Uh, wow, what a blow that was! I'm talking about in the Rose Bowl, but uh, I don't know what what do you what do you what do you see really in the mix? Because we'll we'll talk about different position groups as we get closer to the spring when we're talking specifically about Ohio State. But uh, um, you know, do you see McAllister? Obviously, he has a chance to come in and make an immediate impact because oh, he's played for this guy before. I'm talking about Jim Knowles. But uh, uh, what, do you, what do you see just breaking down there at the safety spot? Ronnie Hickman, where does he fit into that picture, in your opinion? Uh, I think you've got to have Ronnie Hickman on the field. Yeah. After what he showed. If you have a healthy Josh Proctor, um, you know, I've talked about him a million times over the last four years, and he was really coming on and into his own. Let me interrupt a- you. Do you agree? You know, as you look back on 2021, that was such a blow. Losing it was, it was crazy. Go ahead. I, I felt that way from the very start. Especially oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. Things that I'm talking about. I mean, we, everyone has known for a long, long time that he had NFL build, NFL athleticism, and it was a, a longer process for him to get comfortable with the responsibilities, not try to take somebody's head off with a hit on every single play and overcommit and, you know, those things. He was maturing as a safety. And that was about to, you know, bear some fruit for Ohio State. And he knew that. He was ready for it. And he could recognize the improvements that he'd made on and off the field. And to take that away was a huge deal. And uh, I think that Bryson Shaw comes in for too much criticism since he wasn't supposed to be in that role, wasn't supposed to be a starter, was having to do that as a very inexperienced player. He got a lot better as the year went on. But – you know, when you look at the way that those pieces fit, now you're talking about, well, I don't know how Bryson Shaw fits into that mix if you're talking about, you know, Hickman and Proctor and Tanner McAllister and, you know, 
we'll see when Lathan Ransom can get back. I expect it'll be a while. Got Cameron Martinez in there as well, yeah. playing at safety. And, you know, I know from you know conversations with some of those guys, like, you know, Cameron Martinez, that he's actually excited about the fact that Tanner McAllister is there and can help teach that position. And I think that even just for a fir- the first couple of weeks, that that's really helped Ohio State. And I wrote about that last week, sort of because of that, you know, the role that he plays. So I think that the three that are going to play the largest volume of snaps are going to be McAllister, Proctor, and Hickman. How does Knowles exactly fit the pieces together? I don't know because Court Williams uh, needs – if he's not in the mix at safety, that means maybe he's playing in a in a bullet-type role or an outside linebacker. I don't know. Court, what he showed in the Rose Bowl is the sort of thing that we had talked about dating back to his recruitment, how a special player he was and why he was going to be in the rotation as a true freshman before he got hurt. So, you know, I think – that's the situation. Every time somebody pops in the portal at safety or cornerback, we get asked about it, but Ohio state has way more talent and way more experience. Now they're not, they're not just looking around. McAllister was a unique situation that he knew the defense and could provide something where he wasn't just brought in because of his athleticism or any of that other stuff. I mean, he was, he understands that he gets the benefit of more tape and, to try and show the NFL scouts what he can do, but he also wants to be helping those other guys and competing for a national championship. So that's a long way of saying I don't know, but I think that those three are at the top. Hey, when do you, when do you think when do you think it hits Jim Knowles that he's on a different level now? I'm talking about. I mean, because obviously he did great things at at Oklahoma State with three, some four stars, but mainly three stars on the defensive side of the ball and stuff, and built. In my opinion, a great system there. Uh, when, do, when do you think it strikes him that he's operating now? And, it, you know, yeah, Ohio State season didn't end the way he wanted it to. But he's operating now with, a across the board, maybe a higher caliber player at every position in terms of potential. Let's put it that way. Uh, and, wow, what do you do with this? Does does it? I mean, I'm sure he's watching video every chance he gets in between recruiting and, and everything else and meetings and stuff. But uh, I think it's going to be those first couple of three or four days of spring ball when these guys are out there and they're and they're actually getting to places, you know, you know what I mean? They don't have to necessarily be schemed to that place. They get there. You understand what I'm saying? When, yeah. when do you think it hits him that, wow, he's he's got more Play-Doh to play with here? I don't know if that will be the realization for him as much as the pressure that comes with the pressure and responsibility that comes of taking those pieces and maximizing that on the field. And what I mean by that is like, he can look at, he knows he's been coaching a long time that the recruiting rankings and the, and that Play-Doh that he has that you, you reference, it's going to be better than he's ever had before. And that'll be exciting for him. Then he'll, since we're now at this point and it's, late January and they've been out recruiting and they haven't done the introductory press conferences yet that Ryan Day promised. That means in about, you know, 10 days or so when they bring them in and introduce them after the signing period and we get a day with those guys and he walks in to the team room in the Woody and there are 12 video cameras and 50 members of the media. I think that will be the day where you're like, okay, this is different. And that's not to say that he can't handle it or that with his personality, what we've heard, that he won't love it. And the yeah. chat, hey, 
Jeff Halfley really enjoyed it. And yes. a lot of guys like Ryan Day, the first day he walked in there, you could tell that it was different. And we know that some guys like it, some guys don't. Um, and I don't think that that has any real referen- referendum on their skills as a coach, but I only bring that up as like, that will be the day. And Mike Yersich ha- has made the same move from Oklahoma state to Ohio state. And I don't think that he, uh, you know, really got that, uh, the, the pressure or understood it or the responsibility and all that stuff. And it never really kind of clicked with him. I thought he was a personable guy. Yeah. We had some good conversations on and off the record, but a lot of it with the scrutiny that comes with that job, you can't really be prepared for that or most people aren't. Um, and I think that'll be a day and anybody that goes through it, I'm like, well, it's not just four people that cover the team anymore. When you see that amount of media, that tells you how many people are following your team. And uh, that's why you have a hundred thousand people in the horseshoe in September. Um, that part of the job, I think that's what drives it home more than just like walking out to the practice field because these guys have always been doing that. You know, that part is going to be second nature or be, <coughs> be excited about it, but it's all right. The day-to-day pressure of dealing with it becomes a little different. Yeah. You go from vying for possibly a big, big 12 championship to the pressure of if you don't make the college football playoff, it's a disappointing year. I mean, right. that's a definite leap up, you know, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking like it's kind of like going from major college, big time major college football to NFL light, you know, <laughs> and yeah. then the NFL's the next rung after that. But uh, yeah, it's a different level for him. You know, obviously, uh, Perry Aliano is going to be facing looking at the same kind of like pressures, I do believe. Um, yeah. And uh, Tim Walden's played at Ohio State. He's coached in the NFL. He understands a lot of that stuff. Hey, in your opinion, though, uh, what is job one? What is job one for maybe those coaches, but even Mickey Marotti over the next month and a half before spring football starts? Is it getting, is it, you know, I use that word dauber, you know, a lot, but is it getting guys dauber back up? Is it, or is it, uh, you know, even though you led the nation in total offense, you could have run the ball better. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you stunk in, on defense in, in many of the, and when, when it was really push come to shove, you still got the job done a couple of times, but you can be so much better. Right. And yet you've already been had these guys on a workout regimen, which is supposedly second to none. How do you ramp that up? You know what I mean? How do you, how do you go from where you are to another level? Well, I know we, we've kind of worn out the old, you know, Woody uh, expression there about cleansing the soul. And, yeah. and I think that's true. Um, and it got really, familiar for Ohio state that they were going to win the big 10. They were going to win the rivalry game. You know, that became the baseline expectation and that um, it was just going to happen for them. No matter what, that's what they did. And that sort of came up even well before, you know, late November when Ryan day was talking about the Oregon game. And even the week before that, like you can't just roll the helmet out there and win. And sometimes like that's just human nature that that complacency can come in and it's going to come easily. And it's especially uh, dangerous when you have, you know, what was it? 47 first and second year players that had never actually done that on their own before. Yeah. They didn't know how. And I think that that will wind up being significant. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, well, Hey, it was a great silver lining and, and Ohio state's taking that mess. I mean, it hurts and it should hurt them, but you have to take that lesson from that. And, and if that means that, you know, 
4227 signs are all over the, the facility and you change the codes or you put on new t-shirts or, or new slogans. You know, I don't know what exactly they will do, how much of that is necessary, but you know, that team doesn't want to feel that again. So I don't know that it's on the coaching staff. I don't know that it's on Mickey Marathi. I think that realization has to come from the people that were on the field that maybe, maybe they didn't put in as much work as they thought they did. You know, I, I don't think that Mickey Marathi had ever backed off. I think he, He's been doing this long enough that he knows what goes into an off-season program. And I know that it's a new age with the portal and all that other stuff, but I don't believe that he would have rolled out a team that he didn't think was physically capable of winning those games. That's what he's paid to do. Um, Now, does that mean that, you know, guys can't find more motivation to do it or do extra or whatever, you know, what they want on the side? I, I think there has to have been some accounting of that and some reckoning that's not just for the coaching staff because four of them are gone. You know, the players and the veterans, the captains, the, the Zach Harrisons who decided to come back and do it, that's going to have to be player led. And I, I think that there are some signs based on the decisions that were made to stick around that, that they get that part. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Cause as you were sitting there thinking about that, you talk about getting into the Woody, you know, and I'm thinking about these new coaches, you know, have, you know, just getting into the Woody's athletic center sometimes would be a, <laughs> you had to remember the code. Now you got thumbprint. Maybe they're going to go to middle fingerprint this year. You know what I mean? <laughs> to get into the place, you know, That's to right. reinforce. We uh, can do two because there's two losses. So you got to. Yeah. 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 Maybe that. Yeah. But that doesn't sound as good as middle finger. Right. Um, but no, you're exactly right. Yeah. The V I got you. I won't do the other one. Uh, but, uh, but it is interesting. Hey, real quick before we go, um, you know, recruiting wise, we could, we could talk ad nauseum. and we have another, obviously, uh, uh, like I said, Jeremy Birmingham and Zach, Henner, Zach Carpenter and, uh, and Spencer will do a good job of covering that uh, stem to stern every week all throughout the year, uh, especially with our affiliation with on3.com. Uh, but, uh, man, I tell you what, Will Smith Jr., you know, committing to Ohio State, it, it kind of gave me uh, chills the other night when I, you know, I saw that pop up on Twitter, immediately retweeted it. But, uh, man, I – I liked his dad so much for all kinds of reasons other than even football. Was a stand-up dude. Uh, was really standing up for the for for the right for right when he when he got killed, you know, uh, down in New Orleans uh, many years ago, several years ago. Uh, but but what a but what a player and what a captain kind of guy, you know. What I mean, just just was a leader. But I, I watched video. I've been watching video of Will Smith Jr. for the last several months. You know, just different snippets. And man, he lines up a lot like his dad did, and gets after it like his dad did. And uh, you know, sometimes the uh, sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I think that is the case with Will, Will, Will Smith Jr. And I think the reason he might be a three star at the moment, in some respects, is because he hasn't quite grown into his into what he's going to be yet from a physical standpoint. But I think he gets after. I think he touches all the other buttons. Do you agree? Yeah, you don't you don't just automatically take legacies just because they're legacies. That's right. uh, hey, as we found out with Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah, that's, that was a that's, mistake. Well, but go ahead. Well, I, I meant the ones that that couldn't live up to it. Like, yeah, you know, and that that's happened before. Yes, there was a mistake made with Winfield. I think we can all uh, recognize that part. But the the part that I was getting to there is like, also you can you should generally bet on the genetics though, and you know that Will Smith had that. Uh, senior, you know that Antoine Winfield Senior had that. 
doesn't necessarily doesn't always mean um you know that the kids are going to live up to the legacies of their of their fathers or that you have to take every single one but if if two kids are about even and this other one comes from uh this this bloodline that not only knows what it takes to play at ohio state but also at the next level and yeah teach them and you can see the mannerisms of both of those guys that they looked a lot like their old man you know if those situations are even you, you take the one with the with the uh, genetics and the championship dna or whatever you want to call it and i think that you know as you said the parts of it off the field are going to make for a, a story that'll make a lot of people cry someday yeah um, when he wants to talk about that and and that won't be easy or fun for anybody but it's there's going to be a warm embrace i think for him when he gets on campus and the first time that he gets to play in the horseshoe and all that down the road still still little work to do and time before that happens but yeah you know he's there's going to be a so much appreciation for him and what he's been through in his life and then having that opportunity that is not just given out it was earned hey real quickly briefly I know that's tough for me and you too. Before we wrap this up, because uh, uh, I was talking about this with Matt Wilhelm. Yeah, I know. Brief is not in either one of our dictionaries. Or if it is, it's never that page has never been thumbed through. Um, but I was asking, you know, talking with Matt Wilhelm, of course, about this. About does he give some kudos to Ryan Day? This was obviously Ryan Day didn't win the Big Ten, didn't play for the Big Ten championship, didn't win the Big Ten championship the year his team did not after two straight years of doing so, but does he give him kudos for stepping up and making these changes? I'm talking, cause that's, that's tough to do, man. You know, you're, we talked about this a little bit last, last week too, but you're in a room with these uh, 10 guys a lot of times fighting hard for the, for the, for the same cause, you know, and then, but you always have to keep as a head coach, you've always got to keep a little bit of distance between you and becoming buddy buddy with anybody on your staff because you might have to do what he did, you know. And uh, we know how much he bent over backwards to uh, bring Kerry Combs back into the fold, and then to really kind of step to the mirror and go, "Okay, this didn't work like I thought it would." It's not necessarily not necessarily saying this was a huge mistake because you don't know one way or the other how things would have worked out without the COVID thing and everything else. But but the bottom line is. As a head coach, you grow every day, you know, if you're an intelligent head coach. I think he is one of those. But uh, do you think he's sitting there right now going, you know, I feel really good about these moves I made. Now press forward. I mean, obviously, the simple answer is yes. But but how much angst do you think he's dealing with every day now, knowing he's made this huge, huge move on the defensive side of the ball and wondering whether it's going to pay off? Yeah, uh, and, you know the part that you brought up. Like, does he get credit for that? I think that that he should. Uh, that doesn't mean it's what I went back to with these new guys. No part of it is guaranteed to work right. for Day, for Jim Knowles, for any of them. So there will be that uncertainty. Did I get these right? You know, can these guys, you know, bring about the changes that are necessary so that I can take the hands off the wheel of the defense and you know, let some other parts of the offense potentially even go so that he can become more of that CEO. He, I know that the answer to that part is that he recognizes that he needs to delegate more of that responsibility and, and stay at that elevated sort of position over the whole program. I know that that's true. And so I, I think that, 
that's going to be really hard for him. We've talked about that before with – is he going to be the offensive play caller his whole career? Pro- you know, probably not. Um, how how soon will he give that up? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a part of him that recognizes it would be good if he did that right now. I, but I don't know that – I don't think that's going to happen either. Not so, either. Um, you know, that part I think is, is constantly going to be part of the self-evaluation. When you say look in the mirror and determine what he did, and he made hard calls. Um, some, some seem really obvious from the outside. Doesn't mean that, you know, I've mentioned this before that he couldn't have made cases for each of those people to come back. Well, Kerry had to deal with COVID, uh, Al Washington the year before led the most veteran unit, you know, if you know, us, you know, still put together, uh, an offensive line that protected for the number one scoring attack in the country. Uh, you know, Matt Barnes was in a tough situation, really bright guy, and then called plays that worked for 10 weeks. Like, there, all those things would have been, and you're looking in the mirror or looking at the evaluation, reasons that he could have come up with to keep them and not do something more drastic or dramatic. But he didn't do that. And I think that that's, that's a pretty clear sign that uh, he knows last year wasn't good enough. Um, and he knows he's not going to get an endless supply of chances to get it right. Yeah. Because that's, that's not the way it works here. And he recognizes that. And again, that's somebody going into year four. He he had to deal with the, you know, a lot of criticism for just losing two games and finishing number six in the country. That's the part that will be new for Perry Eliano, not maybe for Tim Walton, but you know he, he's in a been coming from a different business and and Justin Fry when like these guys this this is a different pressure cooker than you'll find virtually anywhere else in sports. Yeah, and it takes a different mindset to thrive. And I, I think when you're talking specifically about the choices that Ryan Day made, they're a reflection that he understands his responsibility uh, and what is required at this place. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be – this is going to be such an interesting season. It's going to be such an interesting spring. It's crazy, you know, because, right. like, you know, the little bit we get to watch a practice, I'm just interested in, in seeing what little changes Justin Fry brings to the – table you know I mean uh how how do you fix the running game against credible defenses you know what 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 will those little tweaks be you know and may not be obvious until they play Notre Dame you know in the season opener may not be obvious even then you know we'll have to see but uh obviously <laughs> there there's some shift changes going on on the offensive line you know some guys are going to be moving around etc you know how's he how's he going to embrace that and you know and did he in fact pack or does he even own uh, cold weather gear. I would think by now we, he's probably wearing a lot of Ohio State em, emblematic stuff, don't you think? Uh, logo stuff with uh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the other place that was trying to hire him was Notre Dame, so I'm sure that he he bought a coat if nothing else to go yeah. do some interviews, at least for the weekend, at least for the interview. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, it's uh, it was quite the uh, Quite the fun time here with Austin Ward. Austin, I appreciate you joining the Tim May podcast again, my man. And I appreciate Matt Wilhelm coming on again. And uh, hey, just real quick, just tell me something you're looking forward to in the next couple of weeks. Is there is there one guy hanging out there that could commit to Ohio State that could e- even enhance the 2020, 2022 class even more? You know, what, what are you picking up from Berm, et cetera? I think they've just they've got to get to the finish line there with uh, Amari Abor. And yeah. He committed, but it's not a – <laughs> not a 100% done deal until that signature is on paper. So I think that that's really where 
a lot of the intrigue lies. And I think that next Monday you're going to need uh, Burn to jump in in one of these seats with you. Oh, yeah. uh, and get that scene. And you know, I, I, but I think that's you know, there's just not a lot of you know room at this point when you look at the scholarship situation. And another part of this that was brought up about you know because. Ohio State or Oklahoma State had another cornerback go in the portal last week. Like Ohio State is over the scholarship limit right now. Like this, this roster could not play if it was September 3rd. Yeah. So there's going to be more attrition, but with the semester starting and, you know, that scholarship situation, like you can't look for a ton of other portal stuff to go on right now. They need to get through spring and then maybe reevaluate May. I know we've talked about, tight end possibility, you know, that stuff I think has to be put on the back burner. And there's not a ton of that even going on with the recruiting class because it's hard to, you know, you're not going to just sit here and say these six or seven guys are, are on a chopping block. That's, that's not the way you and I do our business and, and never will. But, you know, obviously the situation has to change before you start bringing in signing a lot of guys or doing any more work in the transfer portal. Uh, of which I don't think they would do a ton, but but maybe one if if the right position emerged. Um, so that's about that part. And I, I know Byrne will be a lot more eloquent, but I, I just think from the overall big picture roster building stuff, like there's not going to be a lot more of that. I don't believe it'd be there's going to be some subtractions, but I don't know a lot more additions. I don't think that's going to happen. Addition by subtraction, ladies and gentlemen, with a little bit of multiplication there. And uh, that's why you took trigonometry. <laughs> that's why Boy, I that did too. You know what's funny? Somebody put that in front of me. I would have no idea 20 years later how to do any of that stuff. You know it's what? Funny. I was just thinking that everything was just coming out of my mouth. I'm going, I, I, would, I, made, I made A minus in trigonometry, and I made an A in calculus. And I swear to God, I don't remember any of it. Uh, I just know that uh, I was really great when these uh, on – uh, online programs came along that did your taxes for you. Cause I'd be like counting on all fingers and stuff. I, who knows how many tax returns I got wrong for my benefit. Cause I was definitely going <laughs> to err on the side of the government in those deals. But, uh, but yeah, it's crazy. Uh, algorithms, man, they changed everybody's life, but, uh, but I digress. Hey, Austin, thanks for coming on the Tim May podcast again, my man. Always a pleasure. And I know your mom appreciates me calling you Austin. And I appreciate your mom for appreciating me calling you, Austin. That means she's listening and watching. But, ladies and gentlemen, until next week for Austin Ward and for Matt Wilhelm, for that matter, uh, an irregular Tim May podcast member, we'll see you then. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.